this morning, and that is that you would rain down upon us the presence of your Holy Spirit. Because we are all too well aware that we are incapable of facing the challenges that we will face in this hour without the Holy Spirit. We are all too well aware of the fact that we will not be able to live the life that we've been called to live in Christ without your Holy Spirit. We cannot do this by human might nor by human power, but it must be done by the Spirit of the living God. And we ask that you would rain down upon us a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need continual infillings of your Spirit in the days that we live in. And I pray that our hearts would always be open, that we would not resist the Spirit, that we would not grieve the Spirit nor quench the Spirit, but we would yield to the Spirit, that we would allow you to move in our midst the way you want and the way you desire. Sometimes it is going to be just a thunderous time. And then there's other times when even like this morning, there's just a sweet, soft sense of your presence. Help us to be sensitive to all. That a service doesn't have to go 90 miles an hour to be anointed. It's just allowing you to move the way that you desire. May we be sensitive to that. Speak to our hearts today. From your word, I pray that we would be encouraged to know what we may receive from the Spirit of God in this hour we live in. And we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. One more time, would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voices to the Lord? And would you just give him all the praise in this house? We bless your name, Lord. We magnify your name, glorify your name in this house, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord praise in this house here this morning. Mighty God, champion, hallelujah. Well, it's so good to see all of you this morning. Before you're seated, why don't you turn to your neighbor, tell them that you love them in Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. Hey, over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about the Holy Spirit. And we have been talking about the workings of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And we have been talking about the necessity, the need for uh, a constant infilling, if you will, of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God within our hearts and within our lives. And if you are a first-time guest here, we are passionate about the Holy Spirit. We need you to be aware of that. And if you are someone who is not even a Christ follower at this time, you're investigating the claims of Christ, I'm actually glad that you're here, though some people would be intimidated that they're going to speak the things that we're going to speak of today with people that do not even know Christ as their Savior. But I'm actually glad that you're here, that you're hearing this Because the hope that we have as Christ followers is that God has looked upon the helplessness and the hopelessness of man and he has said, I will come and live inside of you and strengthen you to do what I know you cannot do in your own strength. 
And I am thankful for that. How many of you are glad for that? That, that, that we don't have to try to do this in our own strength. That we don't have to do this in our own power. But we have been given the Holy Spirit to come and live in us and power us to do the life that God has called us to do in this day in Jesus' mighty name. So here this morning, I kind of want to wrap this up. It hasn't really been a series. We've just been talking about the Holy Spirit. And I kind of want to wrap it up here this morning because obviously next week is Father's Day and we'll be going in a different direction. So I want to bring about a little bit of closure here this morning about this Um, message of the Holy Spirit. Yet at the same time, can I just say that this should be an ongoing conversation. That we should always be talking about the necessity of the Holy Spirit. We should be encouraging one another to always be filled with the Holy Spirit. These are very dastardly days that we live in and we need to be encouraging one another to press in and to know God at a more intimate level than we have ever known Him in Jesus' mighty name. Now specifically what I want to do here this morning, and this is not typically the way that I would speak on uh, Sunday morning. I would do this more on Wednesday night because it's going to be more of a Bible study. And I just want you to take into consideration that this is not normally how I would approach a subject on Sunday morning. But I felt compelled in my heart this week as I just waited on the Lord to actually talk a little bit about this experience that we can have with the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want to drill down into this a little bit and show you from the Word of God, in fact, starting with Jesus and going through most of the book of Acts, that the normal uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit came in two moments with the Holy Spirit. That there were two experiences that children of God had with the Holy Spirit. And again, it started with Jesus, actually, and that's often overlooked, and it continues through his apostles and even to the early Christians, and it was a promise given to you and I as well. And I just want to go through the scriptures as to why we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I just pray that you would open up your heart and that you would receive this for the glory and the honor of God. Now, I want to say that as far as the Christian faith is concerned, and and we know that we're all Christians, but we don't all believe exactly the same thing. And they're all on secondary issues, I might add, as well. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So even though we may believe something that someone else does not believe, doesn't mean that we don't believe they're Christians or that that they would believe that we are not Christians. We might differ on some of these secondary issues. There's some primary issues that we all have to agree on. Can you say amen? There's only one name given by which man may be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. You kind of have to agree on that one. We, we get it. But there are some secondary issues that we may not always agree on, but we have to be true to what we believe, and we need to hold fast to it. And as far as the Christian faith is concerned, There are two schools of thought, there are two camps, if you will, when it comes to the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The first school of thought is that you receive the Holy Spirit completely and totally at the moment of your conversion. That the moment that you confess your sins 
that you repent of your sin and you give your life to the Lord for transformation, that you receive the Holy Spirit and everything that you need and everything you will ever need from the Holy Spirit is given to you at that moment. That there is no other experience of the Holy Spirit that can be had. Um, that there is nothing else you need to receive. That there is no ongoing need for more of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's one and done. You have it at salvation. And that is all that you will need for the rest of your Christian journey. The other school of thought says that although it is true that every true disciple of Christ who has repented of their sin, confessed their sin, surrendered their life to the Lord for transformation, receives the Holy Spirit. And there's no argument of that. They receive the Holy Spirit in totality at that moment. They would say that although that is true, there is another experience that we can have with the Holy Spirit, and again, again, I sorry for the confusion on the screens again, but there is another experience that we can have with the Holy Spirit, known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is marked by a significant infusion, there's no other word for it, of power from the Lord that then gives us the supernatural strength to live the life that God has called us to live. That the first experience that we have with the Holy Spirit seals us unto salvation, but the second experience of the Holy Spirit actually empowers us to live the godly life that we have been called to live. And that from that moment on, the flesh is restrained, but the Spirit is set free to live for the glory and for the honor of God. And not only would they believe that you have this one moment with the Holy Spirit where there is power, but they would say that after that, there will be other significant moments that you have with the Holy Spirit where you are renewed in Him, where you are refilled with His presence that you have a brand new passion, a fresh experience with the Spirit of God. And you will have these moments, not at your will, but at the Spirit's will, throughout the rest of your journey here on the earth. Now, so that there will be no confusion, we are of the second camp. We are of that latter group. We believe that everyone at the moment of salvation receives the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? I, you know, some of you don't know whether to say amen to that or not. Yes, we do believe that. We believe that you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws the, the unbeliever to him. We, we know that. And even Paul said that the Spirit of God himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of Almighty God. So he is the seal unto our salvation. So let there be no confusion on this issue. We believe that you receive 100% of the Holy Spirit when you are saved. You don't receive part of him when you're saved and part of him later. You receive 100% of the Holy Spirit the moment that you confess your sin and you forsake your sin and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Though we believe that, we also believe that there is another experience with the Holy Spirit that Jesus referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit that again is marked by power. 
that it is marked by such a revolutionary transformation in your life that as we said last week, it is if your old man died and can never be found again and a new man has come alive within you. That the old things you once wanted, you walk away from completely and a brand new set of priorities now fill you. That the things you used to do without any conviction, now you feel deep conviction and not only conviction but grief that you ever once participated in those things because now you want to live for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. It doesn't become a chore to live for God, it is exciting to live for God because now the Spirit of God lives inside of you. In Jesus' mighty name. And we believe that not only do you have that one experience with the Holy Spirit, but you will go on and have other experiences with the Holy Spirit, not all the time, but throughout your journey, you'll be able to look back and remember. You know, there was a time when I was tired, when I was weary, a time when I felt like giving up, a time when my prayer life was dry, a time when I would read the Bible and it didn't really have any meaning to me or significance, but I kept praying and I I kept seeking God and one day he met me in such a powerful way he renewed a passion within my heart and with my life that is what we need throughout our walk with God through his Holy Spirit in Jesus name now I know that some people struggle with that idea and I I get it let me just kind of illustrate it this way when a couple gets married Presumably, on the night of their wedding, they will consummate their relationship. And it is wonderful, it is beautiful, especially if they have waited and they have kept themselves for that moment. How significant and how awesome that night truly is. But that will not be the last time that that couple share that intimate moment. They will go on prayerfully throughout their whole marital journey, enjoying each other at those special moments, at that special intimate level. And they will even have children that will be born as a direct result of, of that intimacy. Those children will serve as evidence that they know each other at that intimate level. Can you imagine a marriage being healthy where there was not that ongoing, intimate relationship? And I know that there's some circumstances that can't be avoided, but that is the the normal way that there is that bond that is developed between a husband and wife. Folks, it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not trying to be crude, but I'm thankful that when we are born again, we receive the Holy Spirit and we are sealed unto salvation. We become one with Almighty God, but That's not the only experience I need with him. I need to relive that experience throughout my journey and getting to know him at a more intimate level so that I can actually bear fruit that is evidence I have been with God. That there's a joy that the world doesn't know. There's a peace in my heart. The world doesn't know. There's a forgiveness in my heart that the world doesn't know. There's a self-control in my life that no one else knows because I have been with Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God. And we need those moments of renewal. Now, again, there's just people that they don't like that. They'll just say, no, I've never really lost my passion for the Lord. I would beg to differ with you. And I'm sure that if I were able to talk to you and you were completely honest and straight up with me, you would admit that there are dry seasons that we go through. And there are some people that just say, no, I don't believe it. Well, Jesus did. Jesus believed that. 
that there were times that we would drift. I immediately think of Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus is speaking to a church in the city of Ephesus. And as he's talking to them, he says, I know your works. And I, I've watched what you've done. And I see the good things that you do. And I see the bad things that you abstain from. And I see how you test the spirits. And I see how you cling to what is right. And you forsake that which is wrong. I see all the good things that you do. But listen to what he says in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Jesus was saying to them, you're doing all the things I ask you to do. You're abstaining from all the things I ask you to abstain from. You're doing all the things that are characteristic of a child of God. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. In other words, you're doing it mechanically. You're doing it out of obligation. You're doing it out of some sense of duty. But there is no love in it. You're mechanical, you're like a robot, you're going through the motions, but there's no real passion, there's no real zeal within your heart and within your life. Is that a big deal to Jesus? You better believe it is. Because I'm not going to read it, but in the next verse he says, repent, therefore. In light of it, repent. In other words, Jesus says, turn away from that and do the first things lest I remove your candlestick, is what he says. This is a big deal to the Lord. What is he saying? Go back to your first love. I want you to have that renewed passion. Folks, Jesus certainly believed it. We must believe it as well. That we can go through the motions like a robot and methodically but passionless. Folks, if anything that is done without real passion and love in your heart is not acceptable to God. And the Bible says that the love of God is poured out in the heart of man By the Holy Spirit. Folks, we need continual moments with the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. We don't live for them, but we just need them. You know, I'm just going to be really transparent with you. You know, the last few months, I've just had a lot on my mind. And it's just taxing to me. And a lot of my joy and my passion has just been taxed because I've had so much on my mind recently. And you know, the other day, I I got up early on Friday. I had some yard work to do, and I wanted to do it before the blazing sun came out on Friday and the humidity set in. So I got up a little early, and I was mowing the lawn, and I was just meditating on the Lord. And at one point, I was just puttering around, and I just started saying, Father, forgive me for being so consumed with things that are going on that I haven't had time just with you. And I just began to thank him for all that he's done, for all that I have, that regardless to how bad things may be at times, he has always seen me through, he has always been faithful, and right there on my lawn, the Holy Spirit came. And I began to speak in my prayer language, I lifted my hands, I couldn't care less who was watching me, because I met God again on Friday morning in my front yard. Folks, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. To just remind us of what's really important. Of why we're in this for the glory of his great name. So here's what I want to do. The balance of our time, I want to talk to you 
about this baptism of the Holy Spirit and the two experiences that we have with him. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. And again, I don't typically teach this way, but I just want you to know what we believe here and I want you to see why we believe it. And I want you to see that this was the normal experience of the first century church. To have two experiences of the Holy Spirit that led to other moments with him for the glory and the honor of God. And I know some of you get tense. You lift up your guard and you just won't hear it. What good is that? Lower your guard and just listen to the word of God. No one here is trying to deceive you. And if you know the Holy Spirit, then you don't have to worry about being deceived because he will lead you into all truth. You know, through the years, I've just seen people get angry and even leave the church because they didn't agree with us on this issue. Well, that's childish. I'm just going to be transparent with you. If we're going to grow, we've got to be willing to listen. And if, and if for whatever reason, when we study it and we look at it and we don't agree with that, we can just say, I don't agree, but I still love you. I remember here probably eight years ago now, nine years ago, there was a guy that came to this church for a few months, and then he finally came to meet me, and he said, you know, I've been here for several months, and I just felt like I needed to come and talk to you. He says, I left the church that I was in because it was dry, and, and it just was dead, and there was no life, there was no excitement, and I just knew that there was more that God had for me. And I, I came here And I found the things that I was looking for. There was passion. There was zeal. And people were thirsty and hungry. And you're passionate about your, you know, the the word that God puts on your heart. And I'm so glad that I'm here because I believe here is where I'm going to find what I've been looking for. And I said, praise God. And I just waited. (laughs) And a few weeks after that, on a Wednesday night, he was in there. And I was preaching along these lines. And do you know that as soon as I started talking about the things we're going to talk about today, I could see disgust in his face. He visibly became angry and contentious, rolled his eyes at me on several occasions. And as soon as I said, every every head bowed, every eye closed, he got up and stormed out the doors. I never saw him again. I later found out through a mutual friend that he was angry that I would stand up and say, that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. He got angry that that I said it was for everyone because he believes that it's only for a select few. And he felt like I was putting pressure on people. And it's sad that he turned his back on the one thing that he was actually looking for. That the reason for our celebration was not emotion, but it was because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. But because he had been taught one way for so long, he just refused to hear it. He refused to listen and got angry. Folks, don't be that way. Listen to the simple presentation of the Word of the Lord today. You know, I don't know if you've ever known this, if you ever realized it, but did you know that the very first words that were ever uttered publicly concerning the coming ministry of Jesus Christ emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you knew that, but the very first time someone stood up publicly and started to declare the coming ministry of the Messiah, the first words emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit that he would bring. 
Many of you know that John the Baptist was the forerunner to the ministry of Christ. He'd been raised up in his hour to prepare the hearts of men and women to receive the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Specifically, he was preaching repentance or turning away from sin. And then as an evidence that they had, they were going to be baptized in water, which just simply was an outward expression of an inward work that their sins had now been expunged, that they had now been dealt with. They were now in remission, if you will. And God used John in such a powerful way that many people actually began to confuse him with the Messiah. And eventually they began to ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the coming one? Listen to what Jesus said, or John said, excuse me. John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you. That word baptize means to immerse or to put under. Uh, It means to submerge you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you, immerse you. He will submerge you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says, I'm not the one that is is coming. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But there is one that is coming after me and he's mightier than I am. I'm telling you, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And he's coming to immerse you, to put you under the authority, to put you under the influence of the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I think that I should probably bring this up. The fire that he is talking about here is obviously not a physical fire. It is a metaphor. What he's saying is the work of the Spirit is like a fire. That when the Holy Spirit comes into a man, he will burn up the old life and everything will become brand new. That's the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. That the old has passed away, everything has become brand new, and I am empowered by the same Spirit to live the life that God has called me to live. So think about it. The very first words uttered publicly about the coming ministry of the Messiah were not, He's going to die upon a cross, He's going to rise from the dead, He's going to save you from your sins. All of that would have been great. The first words ever uttered publicly were, He is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, it wasn't long after that that Jesus actually came to be baptized by John the Baptist. He started in in baptism. And it actually tells us that he submitted himself to a baptism unto repentance. Now, i got a question for you. It's not a trick question. So don't be afraid to answer it nice and loud. Did Jesus have any sins to repent of? No, of course not. Jesus is a sinless, spotless lamb of God. So the question is, why did Jesus submit himself to a baptism under repentance? Because Jesus was the example to all men. And he was setting for us the prototype, the way that we were to conduct ourselves, the way that we were to live. So Jesus submitted himself to a baptism unto repentance, not because he had sins to repent of, because he didn't, but because he wanted to show us this is how a relationship with God begins. It begins with confession of sin, repentance or turning away from those sins and forsaking them, and to surrender your life to God for transformation. To live your life the rest of your days, not for your glory, but for the glory of Almighty God. 
So Jesus comes in in these waters of repentance to show us how a relationship with God begins. Interesting though, the Bible says in Luke 3, 21, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. He didn't come as a dove, it was like a dove. Now, I'm not sure what they saw that day. We, we really don't know what it was, but they saw the Holy Spirit in some bodily form come upon Jesus Christ, and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Because you have Jesus, the Son of God, in the water, the Holy Spirit coming upon him in bodily form of some form or another, and then you have God the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that is an awesome picture. It separates Jesus as a Son of God. And can I tell you, to a certain degree, that is exactly what happens when an individual surrenders their life to the Lord. When you come confessing your sin and forsaking your sin and turning your life to the Lord, leaning entirely upon Him, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit comes to live and abide in you, and the Father says, this is my son, this is my daughter, the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How many of you are glad for that in Jesus' name? So, did Jesus receive the spirit that day? Absolutely. That was exactly the word I was gonna say. No doubt about it. The Holy Spirit came upon him at this repentance, even though Jesus didn't repent. And again, I wanna make that very clear. He was showing us how it begins. He has an experience of the Holy Spirit. For those of you that are skeptical and say, well, I don't know if he really was filled with the Holy Spirit or not, pick up in chapter four, verse number one. Then, after his baptism, Jesus takes away all doubt right here, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Should be no confusion. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. He is now led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when he had ended, he was hungry. Many of you know that it was here that Jesus went into a 40-day temptation, and he was tested, and he was tried in a highly concentrated manner. Jesus obeyed, and I believe that the Holy Spirit came upon him in even a greater way. But please make note that he went into the wilderness being Filled with the Holy Spirit. Forty days later, the temptations end. And listen to what it says in verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And it was at this point that Jesus began his earthly ministry. Jesus did not begin his earthly ministry upon his baptism in water. He began his earthly ministry in his baptism in power when he came out. And Luke was kind enough to make sure we understood Jesus went in one way and came out another. He went in filled with the Spirit, but he came out 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was then that Jesus began the signs and the wonders, healing the sick, restoring the hopeless, um, and saving the lost. All of that came after he was empowered. So please make note of this. Jesus goes in, being filled with the Spirit. He comes out in the power to Very distinct experiences with the Holy Spirit. So praise God. Now at this point, someone could say, well, that's great, Pastor Kurt. I I, I accept that. But that was Jesus. And it was only for Jesus, and it's not for us. Which, I would tell you, is absolutely true if it didn't happen to anybody else. If it was only something that we see in Jesus and it was never seen anywhere else, then it would be true. That belongs exclusively to Jesus and I can't take what belongs to him for myself. That Jesus was the son of God and that God obviously did things in him is no mystery. So if it only happened with Jesus, then I have no claim to it at all. But did it only happen to Jesus? That's the question. Well, let's fast forward three and a half years now. Jesus has risen from the dead He has already been crucified, he's alive, but he has not yet ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he is preparing to make his exit, and he gathers all of his disciples together, and listen to this. Jesus said to them again, this is in John chapter 20, verse 21, we actually read this last week. Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me in the Holy Spirit, I am sending you in the Holy Spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this would be equivalent to receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation. And of that, there is no doubt. Because the disciples weren't saved until after Jesus died and he rose again. They may have believed upon Christ, but the structure of salvation had not yet been put in place. Christ was not dead. He had not risen from the dead. Now he has been crucified. He has risen from the dead. So now they have believed upon the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks at them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes into them the Spirit of the living God. And they are recipients of the Spirit of the Lord at that particular moment. Now, praise God, we could end right there, but we got to remember that in Luke chapter 24, just shortly after this, he says to them, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, the Holy Spirit, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, and that word endued just simply means clothed with power from on high. So did they receive the Spirit in, in John chapter 20? It's not a trick question. Did they receive the Holy Spirit in John 20? Yes. But as soon as they receive it, Jesus says, now go back to Jerusalem and wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus was making it very clear. There are two experiences with the Holy Spirit. The first one is the seal unto your salvation. The second is the power unto God to live the life that God has called you to live. And he says, I don't want you to engage the world. I don't want you to try and witness. I don't want you to try to do anything until you are empowered by the Spirit of God. So, in Acts chapter 2, we read this. 
When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues, and everybody gets a little nervous with that. It means other languages. Other languages is all it means, as the Spirit gave them the utterance. What does that mean? The first two signs, if you will, the wind blowing and, um, and the, the cloven tongues of fire over their head, they were just to signal that the Holy Spirit had come. But they weren't evidence that the Holy Spirit was in them. Okay? The evidence that the Holy Spirit was in them is that supernaturally they began to speak in other languages that they had never been taught as the Spirit gave them utterance. What does that mean? It just means that in evidence that the Holy Spirit had now indwelt them, he gave them supernatural languages in their spirit, in their heart. Everybody here has a spirit. You know that, right? It's your spirit that animates you. It's your spirit that makes you think. It's your spirit that makes you aware. Everybody has a spirit. God has a spirit. And God's spirit living in man initially gives us in our spirit, man, words we've never heard before, languages we've never been taught before. And what it means here is that by faith, they just simply opened up their mouth and they spoke what they were hearing within the depths of their heart. And it was the evidence that the Holy Spirit had initially come. And we believe it's initial. The ongoing evidence that a person is under the influence of the Holy Spirit is not that they sputter around in tongues. It's that they live a godly life. Please understand that. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you speak with other languages, but you can't live right, you are offending God. You're giving him a bad name. It's not that, that it's the ongoing evidence. It's the initial, the sign that the Holy Spirit has come. That's what happened here. Now, two experiences of the Holy Spirit. They had it when they believed upon the Lord and the Lord breathed upon them and then they have this power now in the upper room. And it was here, by the way, that they began service. It was here that they engaged. And that day, 3,000 people were added to the church of the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, people can say, well, Pastor Kurt, that was for Jesus because he was the son of God. It was for the apostles because they were the apostles and they had to be set apart from everybody else. They were leading the movement. But when the apostles died, so did this need as well. It was only for them. It was only for Jesus. I can buy that if it never happened anywhere else. If it only happened to the disciples and it only happened to Jesus, then Okay, I walk away from it and I say, it's not for us. That's if it only happened to Jesus and to the apostles. Did it happen anywhere else? Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to set this up for you. A great persecution had broke out in Jerusalem as a direct result of their faith in Christ. The Christians were scattered 
throughout the regions. And there was one man who was a deacon in the church in Jerusalem. His name was Philip. And Philip went down into the city of Samaria and he began to teach them Jesus. And as he did, people were miraculously saved, healed, and delivered. Incredible move of God. There was great joy in that city as men and women believed upon Jesus. But listen to what happens in Acts 8, beginning with verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, because the the head church was still in Jerusalem at this time, when they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, listen to this, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet... He had fallen upon none of them. Listen, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, they had accepted Christ as Savior. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So did they receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, we've already established that the moment you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. So they already did. But when news got back to Jerusalem, they said, send Peter and John down there because they haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit. And they went down and they prayed for them. And listen, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon, and Simon was a sorcerer, and he either was a fake or his miracles were done under demonic uh, influence. We don't know. We have to leave that with God. But he was a sorcerer. And when Simon, who converted and followed Jesus Christ, saw, that word saw is important, that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. He actually wanted to buy the power to do this. Now, obviously, his heart was not right with God at that point. We, we get that. But what I want you to see is this. A lot of people will look at at Acts 8 and they'll say, well, they received the Holy Spirit, but there's no mention of speaking in these other languages. There's no no mention of that at all. Absolutely true. I, I would never deny that. That is exactly what it says here. No doubt about it. But what it does say is that Simon saw something. We don't know what he saw, but he saw something. But whatever he saw was so incredible that he wanted to buy the power to do that. Which means it was more than Peter just laying his hands on somebody and saying, you now have the Holy Spirit. Would you want to buy that? If that's all you saw, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. He saw something dramatic. He saw something supernatural, miraculous take place. We don't know what it was but he saw something. And right now, the only evidence that's ever been suggested is back in Acts chapter 2, where they spoke in this heavenly language. Now, we could never build a doctrine on that. We could never build a teaching on what we've offered so far. So we've got to dig a little deeper, because you've got to find at least two witnesses on this. So is this it? Is that all? No. I would take you to Acts chapter 10 next. In Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit has not come yet to the Gentiles. These are all Jewish individuals at this point. Jesus has not been preached to the Gentiles yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't come. But there is a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is an Italian man. He is a centurion. 
and a very important influence. But he's been introduced to God through Judaism. The Bible says that he's blameless, that he gives alms, that he's a God-fearing man, but he doesn't know Jesus at this point, but he's hungry. He knows there's more. How many of you know there's more? He just knows there's more to this. And God arranges, and it's an incredible arrangement. I don't have time to go into it. But he arranges for Peter to come to Cornelius' house. And Peter comes, and Cornelius is there, his family, all of his servants, probably soldiers are there. They're all there, and Peter begins to talk to them about Jesus. Listen to this. While Peter was still speaking these words, man, I would love for this to happen someday when we're preaching on Sunday. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, Jews, who believed were astonished. They were absolutely amazed as many as came with Peter. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And for the first time, there's a common thread. For the first time. I don't know if, uh, if any of you like uh, detective shows, movies, where there's a lot of uh, just uh, the de- detectives looking at all of the evidence that's, that's put together. I don't know if any of you are like that. I enjoy that. And I always love when they're sitting in the room and they've compiled all of the evidence And they're going through it because they can't find that common link. They can't find that thread that connects it all together. And as they're going through it, someone says something and a light bulb goes on in one of the other detectives and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember this case. And he goes over to that case and he says, wait a minute, this works right with it. And then they start looking and before long they found the common thread. Folks, this is our common thread. Because now we have two incidents where the Holy Spirit was initially evidenced with this supernatural ability to speak in unknown languages as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. We have another case where it doesn't say that they did, but there is at least the evidence there that something was seen. Now, that, that's good. I mean, we've got two solid witnesses now. Two solid witnesses. But if we could get one more, man... It'd be the trifecta. If we, if we could get one more, then we would really have something that we could build upon. Acts 19. Acts 19, and I'm not going to give you a backstory because it speaks for itself, but look, look at it in Acts 19. It's funny, I'm looking around. I can see some of you already tuned me out because you haven't looked at me one time since I've been speaking. You've been staring down in your notes. It's just funny. I, I love my point of view from here. Acts 19 Listen to what he says in verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I'm going to ask you to trust me on this. All studies indicate that that is mistranslated there. The King James is actually the best translation It should read, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? That is literally what he said. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, before we go any further, I know that a lot of people object to this chapter because what they'll say is, these are not actual disciples of Jesus. 
that these are disciples of John the Baptist who haven't even called upon the name of Christ yet. But let me tell you why I do not believe that that is true and why many others do not believe it is true. First of all, it's that word disciple. The Bible almost exclusively uses the word disciple to speak of the disciples of Jesus Christ alone. Now, almost. And some people say, well, maybe this is one of the occasions where it's not. Maybe. But there's another reason. And it's in the question that he asked the people in in Ephesus. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Paul knew the difference between a Christ disciple and a John the Baptist disciple. Would you not agree with that? That Paul knew the difference between a disciple of John the Baptist and a disciple of Jesus Christ. We would agree with that. If he had discerned that these were disciples of John, he would have never asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? He would have asked them, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? But he didn't. He asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? He never questioned that they would believed upon Jesus. He just questioned their powerlessness. He just said, I, I know that something's missing. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said to him, these are some of the saddest words in the scriptures. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And you cannot believe the number of people that have come into Bethel through the years that have said, nobody ever told us about the Holy Spirit. We know about him, but no one ever told us we could have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So they were Christians, but they'd only known the baptism of repentance. And Paul said to them, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, but he said to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus. He was saying, remember, yes, there's a baptism under repentance, but it's more than just repenting of your sin, it's being free from your sin, and that comes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. And when they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. How did they know? They spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Three distinct testimonies have been given. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. Acts 8 doesn't say it, but it says certainly they saw something. And based upon all of the evidence that has been presented, there can be no doubt that he saw them speaking in languages. The Spirit of God gave the utterance. From Jesus to the early first century Christians, the Bible makes it clear there are two experiences with him. One at salvation, but then the other in baptism in the Holy Spirit where there is power that transforms my life in Jesus' name. We have this. This is what we believe, and now you know why we believe it in Jesus' name. And I'm going to say it, at the offense of somebody storming out, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. It just is. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not a fool. I mean, I've been, in, I've been in the church all of my life. You can walk right out of here and go across the street and find a church that will tell you the exact opposite of what I've said. And they will point the same scriptures out to you And they'll say, it doesn't mean that. But what I'm asking you to simply do is this. One of the greatest laws of Bible interpretation is you always take the most simple understanding of it. 
that if you have to just keep digging and digging and digging and digging and digging to come to another, then you got a problem. You just take it at the most simple understanding. And I'm going to tell you, there is no way you can get around. That is the most simple explanation that could be possibly given. That we have the Spirit. And I know, you know, there, there are people that just say, well, it, we believe that it happened then, but it was only for the first century. It was to get things started. It ceased. It's not for today. You need to know that there is not one scripture in the entire word of God that even remotely suggests that. There are scriptures that are taken out of context. 1 Corinthians 13, there is one. When that which is perfect has come, then all that which is, is symbolic will be done away with. And they think that that perfect is the Bible. No. The, which, the one that is perfect is Jesus. When he comes, we won't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore. I mean, let's just be honest. There is not one shred of evidence that this ended. In fact, to the contrary, Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38... He said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off living in 2015 as many as the Lord our God will call. It's for all men at all generations. Now... You know, I'm just, you know, I'm throwing out some things. I didn't really, you know, put this all together because I just said, Lord, you just give me something to say at, at this point. Because there's some of you say, well, when you talk about this, then you say that anybody that doesn't speak in other languages is a, a second class citizen. You said that. <laughs> I never said that. I have never stood in a pulpit and said, if you don't speak in other languages, you're a second class citizen. You know who said that? People that don't speak in other languages and don't want to. They said, you're sec- I never said it. All that I'm doing is telling you what's available. And you just go after God. That's all. I, I'm not putting any pressure on anyone. I'm just here to tell you, this is real. It is biblical. It's for everyone. And I want you to go after God. That's all. I, I, that's, that's all. I'm, I'm not saying anything else than that. Jesus name I want you to know that these things are real and you say why is it important because he will be your best friend he will be the one that when you're walking in the mall will whisper in your ear and say that person needs to know that I love him he's the one that when you're ready to sign the contract will say don't do it He is the one that will give you the words to say when you don't have any words. You need the Holy Spirit. And he's made himself available if you'll just hunger and thirst for him. In Jesus' name. Now, I have one more thing that I want to say. And then we're going to close. I think one of the most disturbing things that I've seen over the last couple years is a number of people that have been raised to believe these things. And as they've gotten older, they've wandered away from it. Grieves me. You've, and I've got to be careful here because we want friends you know, that are Christians and Christ followers. And like I said at the beginning, no one is saying that we're better than anybody else. 
This is just what we believe. This is just our conviction. And, but that would never hinder me from having a, a friendship with someone that is a Christian but doesn't agree with me. But some of you have allowed those friends to influence you and you have walked away from these things. And you never studied it for yourself. You just listened to someone else. Some of you have started dating people that don't believe these things and so you've turned your back on it and you say, I love the Lord just as much as I ever do. But if you were true to yourself, you would have to say it's been years since you just humbled yourself before the Lord and felt his touch. You've walked away from these things and I just feel like you're grieving the Lord and you don't even realize it because you know better. There are people that don't know these things. They're not held accountable. But those of us who know it, who've tasted these things, how can we turn our back on it? Just because it's not popular with some people. And I remember what Paul said. Galatians 3. Foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell on you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Just answer this one question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by your flesh? Folks, the only way to be right before God is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the willpower enough to do it. You don't have the discernment enough to do it. You need the edge. You need the Holy Spirit. Come back to him because we need the Holy Spirit again. In Jesus' mighty name. Bless the Lord. Yeah, give the Lord praise. You know what? I don't care where you are on the spectrum. If you just want more of the Lord, and you would just say, Father, I, I'm going to open myself up to whatever you have for me. I just know I need more. I need more of the Spirit. I need more passion. It's been years since I have sensed the presence. If you just have a general longing for more of the Lord, I want you just to get up out of your seat. We can all stand here for a moment, but I want you just to come and can we just come around these altars for just a few minutes? Can we lift our hands to the Lord? And can we just, can we just go after God? If you just want more of the Lord, you know, just you're thirsty, you're hungry.